Well, I invite you to turn with me over in your Bibles now to Paul's letter to the Philippians. This morning, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. This is Paul's letter to the Philippians. And when I think of that, that it is a letter, okay, I, want to, I want to ponder that, that. We call it the book of Philippians. That's fine. But I'm going to, I tend to refer to it as a letter because that's what it originally was. And I just want to, I want to think about that because I, I feel like we are not much of a letter-writing society anymore. I was trying to think back in my own, my own life seems pretty clear I am not much of a letter kind of person. You know, with email, texting, direct messaging, various other forms of communication, all available today for free, the practice of writing letters has fallen on hard times. So think about it. When is the last time you wrote a letter, a personal letter to someone else? And by that, I mean more than jotting a few words in a Christmas card, okay, like at the end. Or think of this, when is the last time you received a letter from someone else? And again, I'm thinking of more than, you know, getting, I get these personal handwritten letters from people telling me they want to give me a new roof on my house or sell my house for me. But, uh, you know, an actual personal letter. It may have been a long time for many of us uh, since we've written or received a letter. Uh, but even if we haven't been doing that much lately, we probably still have a pretty decent idea of the standard things that would go in a letter if you ever happen to want to write one. Okay, so think about it. what are the typical things we do in our letters? We often begin by saying hello and then asking people how they're doing uh, and if there's anything new with them. And then after that, what do we do? Uh, we often share some of our own plans, some of our own updates about what's been going on in our lives. And sometimes that's actually all you do. Uh, in the letter, like that was the point of the letter. But sometimes after that, there'll be like something specific that you wanted to talk about. And you talk about it after those introductory kind of things. And then at the end, you usually say some kind words to the person and you sign off with your name. Okay, that is a pretty standard letter today. And it is interesting in 2000 years, how little letters have changed. Very, very similar things show up in most of the letters that we have in the New Testament, most of the letters that were being written in Paul's day. One thing that, it, that is different, of course, is that we put our names at the end of the letter. Uh, they tended to put their names, who was writing at the beginning uh, of the letter. But thinking back to Paul's letter to the Philippians, and just think through what we've talked about, okay, already. So if you look at Philippians chapter 1, Paul has already described himself and the Philippians. He's wished them grace and peace, like he does in all of his letters after that, Paul expresses how thankful he is for them, how much he loves them, how confident he is in the Lord about them. And then Paul writes down his prayer for them. Okay, those things are really standard in Paul's letters. But then after that, what does he do? This is a letter that he wrote to close friends. And so he does something in this letter that would be pretty standard in letters to friends. He doesn't do this in all of his letters, but to them, he does. And I want to look at this today. Look at verse 12. And when you look at verse 12, just like in letters that we might write to close friends, Paul begins to give an update about his own life. 
and what is going on in his own life. So a lot of the letters he writes, he says, this is Paul, I'm writing to you guys, I'm really thankful to the Lord for you, I pray for you, but he doesn't do this very often, where he actually says, now I'm going to tell you about what has been happening to me lately. But he does this with the Philippians because I think of their close, close relationship with him. He knows they are really interested in what's been going on in his life. They are interested in asking him questions like, how are you doing? Are you okay? How is it being under house arrest? Are they treating you well? What's happening to the churches around you? How has your imprisonment been affecting your ministry? And Paul, be honest, how do you think the trial before Nero is going to go? Are you nervous about it? Do you have any sense of how it's going to go? How the verdict is going to fall? Do you think we'll ever see you again? These are the kind of questions he knew they wanted answers to. And so from verse 12 to verse 26, Paul answers all of those kinds of questions in this update part of the letter. This morning, we're just going to look at the first part of the update, verses 12 through 18. So let's, let's pick up in verse 12. Okay, so Paul says, verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Okay, that is the main thing Paul sees about his situation in chains. The gospel is advancing. <clears throat> now, the Philippians are Paul's partners in the gospel, so he knows they care about this. Okay, so he says, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me has not hindered the gospel. In fact, God has actually used the specific circumstances that I'm in to advance the gospel. Now, I want to be clear. Okay, when Paul talks about what has happened to me, what is he talking about? What has happened to him? Okay. He is talking specifically about his imprisonment, or the way it's really phrased, his chains. He's been talking about, he talks about chains a lot in the first chapter of this letter. He is talking about the fact that he has spent the last four years, at least, as a prisoner. And for the last two years, he has been under house arrest in the city of Rome, chained to a Roman guard the whole time. Okay, you would think that with Paul being this great missionary who's been traveling the world to all these new cities, that this would severely hinder the gospel for this situation to be happening. But what does Paul say? What does he want his gospel partners to know? I want you to know what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. The situation has clearly been designed for evil, but Paul looks at it, God has been using this for good. I think of like the story of Joseph. It feels a little bit like that. There have been forces at work in Paul's life to stop him and to stop the gospel, but Paul says God has actually used this very thing to advance the gospel in ways it never would have otherwise. But the question then is how? Like, okay, how has the gospel actually been moving forward and where? I mean, he's like in a house, like under house arrest. So how has it been moving forward and where has the gospel been advancing? So, so I want to go back, read verse 12, and this time read to verse 13. So verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, 
that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Okay, so from those verses, where exactly is the gospel advancing? Is it advancing among a people group okay, that Paul had little access to before this? Okay, the gospel is advancing, he says, throughout the whole imperial guard, as well as to others, I think, who are connected to Caesar and the Roman government. Now, when Paul talks about the imperial guard, okay, he is talking about what's been called the most elite group of Roman soldiers. Okay, this group consisted of about 9,000 Roman soldiers who had a lot of power in general, and they were specifically the bodyguard for Caesar. Okay, so maybe we think of like secret service, something, something like that. Part of the duties of these soldiers in particular was to keep guard of the prisoners who were waiting to stand before the emperor. Okay, and that's what's going on here. Prisoners like Paul. And what's been happening? If you remember, Paul was under house arrest. Okay, what that meant is that there would be a Roman soldier chained to him all the time. This would be 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And they would come in one right after the other, shift after shift. Most people think it's about four-hour shifts. Week after week, month after month. And by the time he's writing the letter, that situation has been going on for two years like this. Okay? But also remember, because if you look at the end of Acts, the book of Acts, it describes what the experience was like under house arrest in Rome. And one of the things that he was allowed to do is he was allowed to have visitors come and go whenever they wanted to. So there have been people like Timothy, Luke, Epaphroditus, Onesimus, and many others who've been coming and going throughout this whole time. In addition to that, Paul is also free to do kind of what he wants to do in there, and he has been writing letters. I don't know if you ever thought about this, okay, but in this particular imprisonment, he has already written Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. Now he's writing Philippians. And he is writing all of those letters with a Roman guard chained to him. And, and many of those he's actually dictating, it would seem. So like, those guys are the initial audience you know, of, these, of these letters. And so what has happened? One guard after another has come in, and you can imagine the conversation. So what are you in here for? What did you do to get in here? And what is Paul's answer? He says, I am in these chains for Christ. And Paul would explain to one guard after another that he's there for Christ because of his loyalty to Jesus of Nazareth, who he says is the one true king and Lord of the world. Now, it is doubtful that Paul had all 9,000 you know, come through his house. But, you can, but we can imagine how news about him spread throughout the Roman guard. You know, they're talking with each other about what they've been doing. You know, you know, there was this Jewish guy. I was guarding him the other day, and he would not stop talking to me about this other Jewish guy that I never heard of, who was crucified a while back. And this guy told me he's alive again. And he has all these visitors come in, and they all believe the same thing. I do not know how to think about this guy. 
So from one perspective, you say the Roman authorities are holding Paul captive, but from Paul's perspective, he is a completely captive audience, right? I mean, every four hours, there will be a new Gentile walking through those doors. And even if they want to leave, they cannot leave for four hours. Okay? And at this point, it might be worth looking at the end of the letter to the Philippians, because Paul says something very interesting in the closing greetings. Okay, look at Philippians chapter 4, because in letters, often Paul, since he's around other people, would send greetings to people on behalf of others that were with him. And so look at Philippians chapter 4, and look at verse 21. Paul says to the church, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Yeah, I think that writing that line with a Roman soldier right next to him must have brought him a lot of joy to say that. Because okay? it seems like from that, that at least some of those Roman soldiers have not just begun to understand what Paul was saying, but some of them have actually come to believe it. <clears throat> and, and, I, and then I was thinking about if the Philippian jailer was still alive and still in Philippi, because it's about 12 years since his story. I mean, I would have think like what that would have meant for him. You know, how this whole situation would have reminded him of his own conversion story 12 years earlier. All right, but going back to chapter one, <clears throat> Paul says that his chains have not hindered the gospel. Instead, his chains have led to new opportunities for the gospel. The gospel has been on the move through Paul inside his own house, his rental unit. Okay? But that's not the only place or the only way that the gospel has been advancing. So go back and look at verse 12 again, and this time read through verse 14. Okay, So verse 12 again, <clears throat> first chapter. I want you to know, brothers, that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So you see the difference between verse 13 and 14. In verse 13, Paul's talking about how the gospel has been advancing through him inside the house. But verse 14, he's talking about how the gospel has been advancing outside of his house in the city of Rome through the ministry of other Christians. He says, most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord through my chains. And so they have become much more bold to speak the word themselves without fear. Now, who is Paul talking about? He's talking about other Christians in Rome who have seen him suffer and have seen him keep preaching anyway. Now, you might think that seeing a leader like Paul imprisoned and suffering for Christ would lead others to become afraid of identifying with Christ. And that may have happened to some, but not to most. Because notice what Paul says. He says, most of the brothers have actually gained confidence in the Lord through my chains. 
so that they're out there speaking even more boldly for Christ now. They have seen a hero of the faith standing strong, and it has inspired many of them to start speaking with more confidence. And perhaps they've also realized that through Paul's long imprisonment, that if anyone in the city outside of the guard is going to hear about the gospel, it's going to be up to them to speak. After all, Paul cannot do it. He, he is in chains, confined to one house, and they are free. They have the ability to go wherever they want in the city, and they're the ones who need to step up and preach Christ in their own city. And that's exactly what many of the brothers in the city of Rome were doing. Now we come to verse 15, where Paul says something very interesting and very surprising. Because look at verse 15. He wants to talk about this preaching that's going on outside in the city. He says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others do it out of goodwill. The, the latter do it out of love, knowing I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. But the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my chains. I don't know that there's anything quite like that in the rest of Paul's letters. <clears throat> and I'm not, I'm not sure if we can know with certainty exactly what was going on and running through people's minds here. But did you catch the gist of it? Paul says that he knows that some of the brothers in Rome are preaching Christ for the wrong reasons. Now, there are many, of course, who are preaching Christ for good reasons, with good motives, for the good of others, the glory of Christ, and out of love for Paul. Okay. But not all who are preaching Christ out in the city are doing it for the right reasons. Because Paul says in verse 15, some indeed preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. And then verse 17 says, they proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely. Instead, they're trying to hurt me in my chains. Now, again, I don't know if we can like pinpoint exactly what they were thinking or why they were doing this, but, but it at least seems that some in the churches in Rome really did not like Paul. And I think if you look at the end of Acts, you get that kind of feel that there was a very mixed reception to Paul within the churches of Rome. Perhaps some in the church really did not like the letter to the Romans that he had sent a couple years before this. Or perhaps some did not like how much respect and admiration people gave to Paul. They wanted that for themselves. And I say that because Paul highlights envy, rivalry, and selfish ambition as what's behind this. But even though we can't be sure exactly what they were thinking, what we can tell for sure is that they thought that preaching Christ would in some way hurt Paul. Right? I mean, it's, it's, it says they do this not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. 
Now, I don't, I don't know for sure like how they connected those, those dots. But what's more important than knowing the details of it is to pay attention to Paul's attitude about what they're doing. Because look at verse 18. He says, what then? Which is like, so what? Only that in every way, whether in pretense, which is like false motives, or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. And yes, I will rejoice. Now, I want to clarify two things about what Paul says here. First, okay, though Paul knows that these people had bad motives, he believes they are actually preaching Christ. That's the only way he says what he says here. Okay? In other words, the people he's talking about here are not false teachers. These are not people who are preaching a different gospel or a false Christ. Paul is talking about people who obviously had problems, okay, but who were still preaching the true gospel. Because after all, Paul would never rejoice in a false Christ being preached, a false gospel. If you, if you doubt that, read Galatians. Okay. Okay. Second, though, Paul would obviously prefer for people to preach Christ for good reasons, okay, than bad reasons. Okay. Paul knows there are some who are preaching Christ for the right reasons, in humility, sincerely, out of love, and it's a lot better to do that than to do this. Okay. But things are not always ideal. There are often mixed motives in our own hearts for why people do what they do. And for whatever reason, there are some who really do not like Paul. They want to be better than Paul. They want to hurt Paul. They want to make his hard life worse. But yet, they're actually preaching Christ. And so what does Paul have to say about them? He basically says, so what? So what if they don't like me? So what if they want to hurt me? So what if they actually make my life worse? Christ is being preached. I will rejoice in that. Why? And what would be behind that? I mean, how could he say that? Because he, he, he had a view that Christ being preached was more important to him than him. Now, that's all the further we're going to go in the text. Now, I want to think about what we've seen. Okay? There's a lot for us to think about from this update section. So I'm going to start with just two observations I thought about from this personal update. Okay? First, Paul's personal update is far more about the gospel than it is about himself. Okay? Like he says words like I, me, my, Throughout there, it's almost, they're almost in every verse. So he's, like, he's talking about himself, about his chains, what's been happening to him lately. But when you step back and think about this personal update, there's no doubt the focus is not really on him and how he's doing. 
Like, what did he say in there about how he's doing? Not much. Instead, he focuses on how the gospel's doing. And he's saying the gospel's doing just fine. As Paul told Timothy in the text that Esther read from 2 Timothy, he says, I am bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. The second thing, just observation, is that God, in this case, I think this is true beyond this case, God can use one person's suffering to strengthen another person's faith and gospel witness. Right? That is exactly what happened with Paul and many of the brothers in Rome. They saw Paul in chains. They saw how he suffered. And they saw how he kept preaching Christ anyway. And what did it do for them to see it? They gained confidence in the Lord through his chains to start preaching more boldly than they had before. Now, this is not the only reason God may allow suffering. But this is one of the ways God can use suffering in our lives as we trust God through suffering and keep pointing people to Christ anyway, in spite of our suffering. Others can see that and grow in their own commitment to the Lord. And I imagine you have had that happen in your own life through brothers and sisters that you have seen walk through terribly hard trials, clinging to Jesus. And it made you stronger in your faith. And this is, a, this is actually why we read Christian biographies, I think. I think this is one of the main reasons of that, because this happens in our own hearts. When we read of someone who was a faithful servant of God, who remained steadfast under trial, God uses their suffering and their story to strengthen our faith. And this happens throughout the New Testament. This is why you get a lot of texts pointing to different people in the past who were not perfect, but who kept clinging to the Lord. And, they, and the authors tell us to look at them and to take courage and to keep following in their steps. Now, as we, as we, as we close in, I want to step back and I want to reflect on what this passage teaches us about the gospel and on what we can learn from Paul about how to think about the advance of the gospel. Okay, so just I have three reflections about the gospel for us to think about. Each one could be developed more than I will. But first one, the gospel is centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Okay. This, this is not like as clear in these verses as you might think at first, but like if you look at the verses, okay, look at how Paul goes back and forth between the gospel and Christ between advancing the gospel and preaching Christ. The whole section is about the advance of the gospel, whether it's through Paul in the house or others outside the house in the city. But notice how Paul describes what people are doing. They're advancing the gospel. They're preaching the gospel. But Paul's way of saying that is they're proclaiming Christ. They're preaching Christ. You see, the gospel message is centered on the person of Jesus. The gospel is the good news about God's 
Son, that God sent his Son, Jesus Christ, to rescue us from our sins and to make the world right again. Jesus came as one of us. He lived far better than any of us. He died for all of us, and he rose victorious. He is both Lord and Christ. His blood alone can wash away our sins. The gospel is a message about that. It is a message about him, about Christ. And the gospel calls us to flee to Christ for our salvation. And you can look through Philippians then to see how Paul highlights the person and work of Christ and what we have through trusting Christ. The second thing, just thinking about the gospel in this text, is the gospel only advances through the proclamation of the gospel. This section is about how the gospel moves ahead. And what is clear is that the gospel moves ahead through the proclamation of the gospel. Now, as you read Philippians, and this is part of what I love about Philippians, Paul puts a huge emphasis on walking worthy of the gospel, on living out the gospel, on displaying the gospel through our lives and our conduct and our humility and all these kinds of ways. But the gospel only advances through the proclamation of the gospel. I'm not trying to downplay the importance of living out the gospel. That is a huge theme throughout Philippians. But the gospel advances when people talk about Christ. I mean, for example, I am sure that Paul was a good, kind, and cooperative prisoner. But that is not how some of those guards had their lives changed by just watching him be nice. Paul told them over and over again that he was there in those chains for Christ. The whole Roman guard learned he was there for Christ. They didn't even know what the word Christ probably meant before talking with Paul. How did they learn that? Because Paul told them he was there for Christ. Paul proclaimed Christ to them, and the gospel advanced in the house. And that's what the other Christians did outside the house in the city of Rome. Paul says they've gotten more confidence to do what? To be nice? Yeah, well, maybe. But they've gotten more confidence to proclaim Christ without fear. And I just think, when is the last time we could describe what we did like that? What did you do with that person? Or what did you do last week? One thing I did, I preached Christ. When's the last time that we actually opened our mouths about Christ with someone who does not believe on Christ? And then the third thing, last thing, <clears throat> the advance of the gospel is supposed to be more important to us than us. 
Now, if you are an English grammar expert, you know that is not exactly good grammar. So my wife probably doesn't like this, but, but this phrase is good, okay? The advance of the gospel is supposed to be more important to us than us. This is modeled by Paul in the text. I think here this is like maybe the main thing I've always thought about this text about, okay? Like, because I think this is more clear here than maybe anything else Paul ever wrote, that the advance of the gospel was more important to him than him. And there are people out there preaching Christ just to hurt him. And he's like, who cares? As long as Christ is being preached, how important is it to us for the gospel to advance? What cost are we willing to endure? What cost are we not willing to endure for the advance of the gospel? What would it take for us to say, I'm not willing to do that? I'm not willing to go through that or to have people try to do that to me. I mean, for Paul, not only was he in chains for preaching Christ, there were actually people preaching Christ to try to hurt him. I don't know if that has ever happened <laughs> to anyone else. They're just trying to add more pain to his pain. And you know, what does he say? So what? Christ is being preached. In this, I rejoice. To be able to say something like that requires that we get to the point where we can say in sincerity, the advance of the gospel is more important to me than me. Are we there yet? I want to pray that God will help us as a people to get there. Let's pray. Father, would you help us? Lord, I know my brothers and sisters, I know my own heart, and I know that within us, there is a longing to want to be there where we want to see the gospel proclaimed and advance more than anything. Where we would want to be able to say things like this, and yet I think we struggle, I struggle to say that with sincerity. And so, Lord, I pray that you will help us to be so captivated by Christ, so thankful to Christ, so passionate to tell people about Christ and to see others tell people about Christ around the world that, that we might be able to say, no matter what happens to us or even if people wanted to hurt us, what does it matter as long as Christ is being preached? As long as the gospel is advancing, would you help us, Lord, to get there? Would you help us to grow in our love and trust in Christ and our desire to see others embrace him? and find what we've found in him, righteousness and joy and life. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.